Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast. I am Cindy Gozanski, your host, and today I am so honored and delighted to bring you my guest, Julia Aziz. Julia is a holistic psychotherapist, ceremonialist, teacher, and author. With a psycho-spiritual lens integrating mind-body and traditional healing tools, Julia's work has focused on women who spend much of their time and energy attending to other people's needs. She supports helping professionals in reclaiming, rewilding, and empowering themselves through the challenges of burnout, compassion fatigue, perfectionism, high sensitivity, anxiety, and grief. In addition to being a therapist for therapists, she offers the Release and Empower Women's Circle, a sacred space for helping professionals, moms, and other emotional caregivers to heal together through creative, authentic expression and community. And Julia is also the author of two books, Lessons of Labor, and When You're Having a Hard Time, The Little Book That Listens. Wow, I am so pleased to have you here, Julia. Welcome. Thank you so much, Cindy. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yes, I'm really excited about our conversation because your bio is just so resonant with so many of my values, passions, and I know so many of our listeners, and especially also those challenges. Like as I read that list, I thought, oof, that's kind of heavy, those challenges, and we all experience it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love starting by asking for you to share with us, in your own words, what does being a heart-centered therapist mean to you? Sure. Yeah. So to me, being heart-centered means that we are coming to the work from a foundation of compassion. So uh, the loving kindness, the what I call the big heart. It's different than empathy, right? Compassion. It's it's coming from the big heart that encompasses all beings, right? So that when I am heart-centered, I can be without judgment. I can be holding a space for you and be in presence and be honoring your journey and wherever it's going to take you and coming from this place of, of the heart. So to make that, those are a lot of, you know, sort of buzzwords, but to make that more practical, um, for instance, you know, if I'm as a heart-centered therapist, if I'm with a client and they say something and I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know what to do with that. Or, you know, like we get into this, something comes in and, and the mind starts getting, oh, there needs to be an intervention. You know, what do I do? Dropping down the awareness into the center of the chest. So in a really practical way, like really feeling the center of the chest in this heart space and coming from this place of trust that I don't need to have the answers and that it's not about uh, having the right idea or doing the right intervention of some sort, having the right modality, that it's about being present and listening and coming from the heart and that then I will, it will come whatever, whenever it is my turn to speak or do something, then that will come. So that's, that's sort of how I experience that. Such an amazing description. I love it. And, and as you said that, especially like the big heart, it even seems to me in a way it welcomes in the heart of the other mm-hmm. that you are in contact with. Absolutely. I'm, I often will say like this compassion is about including all, right? So compassion is compassion for you. And it's also for me. And it's also for this whole mess that we're in, you know? And so when I can be in that big heartedness and I'm included in it with my client, then there's can be just an openness to, okay, what, what wants to happen here? 
instead of I need to have the answers. And then if I don't have the answer, we're in trouble here. Yes, exactly. And when I work with my student interns who are in their master's program and finishing their program doing internship, that's one of the things I always go back to, right? You don't have to have the perfect response or the answer or know exactly what technique to use if you can drop down into your heart. If you could drop into that place of of compassion, of attunement, of not being judgmental, of trust, trusting the process. But it's so hard as a new or as an experienced therapist, right? We're talking and I'm already thinking like, okay, well, what am I going to do with my 6 p.m. client? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, and I do think it's especially hard when you're starting out because the training is all still new and you're really trying to, to put it all together. And there's so much emphasis on particular modalities, particular things that you're going to do with somebody, you know, what are, and, you know, asking for ideas, what do I do with this person that we can lose the essence of what it's about, which is being a kind witness, you know, is about being with someone as they're going through their own life's journey and this process that they're in and the power of having that kind of attention and presence and, um, compassion is is fundamentally what the medicine of therapy is about. Mm-hmm. And, and that word witness is not used often. You and I haven't met before, before today. And yet that's something so important that, that I believe too, that we are witnesses. We have mm-hmm. to bring that that witnessing, which is part of this, the spiritual intimacy of our therapeutic relationship. And we'll get more into that. I didn't mention in the bio, Julia, that you're um, you're an LCSW and also it is it a reverend? Is that how how do you yeah, that title I, is so is so funny to me. Like I've I've actually asked the seminary that I attended, is there some other title that we can use here? Um because it really doesn't fit me at all. Um, but I did um, attend a two-year seminary in uh, studying world religions and basically the the service of ministry in terms of you know facilitating ceremony and tending to people's spiritual needs who are either not religiously affiliated you know secular but still asking for spiritual support and also for interfaith families so people coming from different traditions and you know wanting to meld things together so that was sort of my um, where I was kind of focusing my work there um, but yeah that I'm definitely not a reverend, but that is what they, that's the signifier. I love that it's, you're, you're finding what fits to you in the, in the service of ministry and helping working with the unaffiliated or interfaith. That's huge. That's so important. Well, tell us a little about your journey to becoming a therapist and also like the type of practice you have now. Sure. Yeah, so I started out in the field of mental health and human service and spiritual development pretty much as soon as I could as a young adult. This was in the in the late 90s. And while I work independently now, that first decade or so, I was in a lot of different nonprofit settings. So I worked in hospice, sexual assault and domestic violence, alternative schools, psychiatric care, Um, as well as psychotherapy in a low-cost counseling clinic for anyone and everyone. So individual adults, couples, families, children, teens, facing any and every kind of issue under the sun. So that gave me a, a great range of clinical experience, and it also exposed me to what I see as the shadow side of the profession, which is that it encourages a sort of martyrdom. And that often leads to a lot of burnout and compassion fatigue in helping professionals. Those were not buzzwords then the way they are now, but we were all still experiencing it. And, and, and so kind of doing that way more then than we are now, right? Mm-hmm. So many people don't go through that as as hard as it is, it's also very rich and and so so important to have that, as you said, broad range of experiences be even better if we could have it without the compassion fatigue and the burnout. Sure. A lot of, of therapists and social workers now who just go right into 
clinical work in like a private practice or group practice setting, and they've never experienced the the community kind of peripheral work. The community, and I do think, regardless, you know, I mean, nonprofit settings have their own have their own unique challenges. But even people who go straight into private practice, the education and the hidden curriculum in the profession still has these qualities that do lead to burnout that I see as, you know, a sort of martyrdom. So, so concurrently, while I was in these nonprofit settings, I was also beginning what would be this lifelong training and exploration of diverse wisdom traditions and traditional healing modalities. And that's, you know, also that, that interfaith ministry um, seminary. So in 2004, I sort of brought thing, this all together and led my first writing, meditation, and movement retreat for helping professionals. And so since then, I've been de- developing a body of work to support those who are on the front lines of caring for other people. And I'm a big proponent of what I call self-healing in community, which is what the women's circles and retreats and workshops that I run are all about. You know, it's, it's bringing together those who spend much of their time and energy attending to other people and giving them a protected space for their own process to release emotionally and also to reconnect with their own inner wisdom, their own strength and their own sense of purpose. So that's, that's sort of what led me. It's been, it's been a winding path. And I've sometimes said that this is my second career as a therapist my first career was also as a therapist, but I had to do a lot of unwinding then deconditioning, unlearning, so that I could come into a place where I, you know, love the work and I feel energized by the work. And that only has come from having been through those experiences and also witnessing colleagues going through these experiences of, you know, a system that's just you know, in some ways asks us to sacrifice, to, to put other people's needs always ahead. And I'm, I'm not, you know, about, it's not about going from you first to me first. To me, it's about that big heartedness of let, coming into the we, you know, like let the work include us all. Yes. And there is that oppression in the system, like you said, for both community work and private practice work. I love what you said, and I have a quote here. Therapists are carrying the weight of the world as story keepers and space holders, and we need a perspective shift in how we approach our work. And that seems to be you are a therapist, and now you're a therapist, but sort of like two different aspects of your career, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so this perspective shift is around self-healing. Well, so the perspective shift... You know, the way I see it is that in some ways, you know, going from a more patriarchal model where we're meant to either be, you know, an expert with the answers, we are the the blank slate that someone can project upon as though we don't have a personality and, you know, boundaries, humanity of our of our own. You know, I for for me, like the words that I use, and this is gendered, so please feel free to change it as needed for anyone listening. But, you know, from a more patriarchal model to more of a sisterhood model, that's for me how it feels in the sense of I'm here, I'm a human being. And our agreement, you know, if when I'm working or holding space, you know, working with one-on-one or holding space for a group is I don't become not a human being when I'm with people, right? But I can bring my presence and attention to who's in front of me. Like that's the agreement we've made. So it's not about me having to have figured everything out in life and blah, you know, which is never true. So it just becomes a pretense, right? Like this is why we see these master teachers and these master healers being, you know, pulled down off their pedestals is because of this idea that they're supposed to be somehow different than human, you know? And so to me, like the perspective shift is, oh, I'm not supposed to have all the answers here. It's it's a humbling, you know, okay, my job is to be with someone, in walk alongside them and to learn alongside them and to to bring my presence and to know that that is enough, you know, and, and that the answers that we're looking for may come from surprising directions when I don't think I have to figure it out. 
that reminds me of this spiritual concept of like being humble and being small, but not being small, like little being small in the service of the humility so that you can like participate in that, that bigger wisdom that surrounds us. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, I think I may have written a blog post about this, about the, the helper's ego, you know, that, which we don't usually think of helpers as, as having ego so much, you know, because we think of them as being altruistic or, you know, wanting to help when we hold it in such a way that we feel responsible for somebody else, in some ways we are like stealing their sovereignty. If they have, they have come this far in life. I don't know what you need, but I trust that you are a person have value in your own right. And that the answers that you need, that you're the one who is going to find them. And so if I can believe in you, then that can help you to believe in yourself as opposed to me feeling like, you know, that, that I'm, if I have all the right tricks and I do all the right things, then um, like that, it's a reflection of me, you know, to me, like part of the, the humbling is, is it's not about me, you know, this is about being with so like, so let this, let me be of service, but I don't know what that means. It's not a reflection of me and my, my worth in this world, what happens in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's kind of so simple, and I learned this from um, an, an amazing teacher that I had, but when we say it's not about us and to make that shift while we're in the room with a yeah. client, he said, just turn your hands, open palms up, and you know, turn your hands like that, hold them in your lap, like in that receptive place, and it can make all the difference for, for your nervous system, for my nervous system to, you know, to be in that place of, okay, I don't have the answers and somehow they're going to come right in between that, that, that beautiful thin space, right. The I thou space, it's going to come, but you have to settle and be able to do that and trust. Absolutely. I mean, it's a lot of ways. It's all about our, our relationship with uncertainty, you know, so that rather than letting it cause anxiety that we, like you said, with the open palms, we're offering it up. Oh, I don't know what to do here. So instead of like, oh, no, I don't know what to do. It's like, okay, look, I don't know what to do. Let's see what's going to happen next, you know, so that we're approaching, we're approaching with kindness and curiosity. And when someone feels that they are really being met in that way, it's just amazing what can come through, you know, and we, we get to be sort of blown away by the mystery of it instead of feeling like we have to hold on so tight and mm-hmm. be in charge in a certain way. The mystery part is so fun, I think. And it's so powerful and probably what keeps most of us loving being therapists and continuing to want to just get in there and do this really, really hard, challenging work. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it it is such an honor to get to witness growth and healing. I mean, it's, it's amazing what people can go through and their resilience and, and what can, what can unfold. Yes. So as you talk about this healing again, and I know you, Julie, you have written some amazing blogs and books and articles around self-healing, what self-healing is and what self-healing is not. So maybe let's start with what self-healing is not. I'm thinking like, you know, manifesting or working extra hard or like, what are all the things self-healing is not? Yeah. And that word too, it's so hard to find words that really capture you know, the essence, but for lack of a better one. So in my perspective on it, self-healing is not about, well, I can do it all myself. You know, I don't need anybody else. And I, you know, going to fix myself that there's, there's some sort of, you know, there's problems I have, but I'm going to, you know, kind of pull myself up by my bootstraps and I don't need any support. Right. Pull myself up by the, by bootstraps or, you know, I've, I've even said, well, I'm used to it. I'll just do it myself. That that will somehow make it better. Right. And also, like you're saying, this this manifesting, like sometimes the the new age stuff can can be supportive when it's balanced and it really depends on where it's coming from. But 
it's really important that we stay rooted in what is true for us. And so sometimes self-healing, that term can take on a, a whole bunch of different meanings. So, you know, I, I almost can't say like what it is not in general, because, you know, people will use that term in different ways. I mean, to me, on the one hand, it's about recognizing that there's nothing outside of us. There's no person or, um, you know, healer or teacher who has our answers. You know, like there's not one person or one um, technique that is going to be the be all end all. And so at some point when one recognizes that and almost it's like a surrendering to I don't I don't know, like I, I've given up in some ways, like of looking outside myself for help and recognizing that this is going to come from me paying attention moment to moment, day by day to what is needed now. And so to me, it's really talking more about what it is, is more about trusting one's own intuitive sense for what is being called for now. Now that might mean working with somebody else, get receiving support elsewhere. Um, it doesn't mean that we like, you know, we will, you know, one might still work with other people and learn new things. But the source, the, the primary provider, if you will, is you, you know, you for yourself. And it's, you know, when in this context of working with therapists, it's about turning the, the one who is caring and compassionate and so easily tends to other people. It's about turning them towards the self and saying, um, I have access to that inner healer, too. And so can I bring, can I more strongly identify with the part of me that is solid and that can hold space and that has strength and wisdom and turn her towards or him or they towards my own vulnerability? Sometimes it's so hard for therapists to do this mm -hmm. or for helpers. We, we, we can even broaden it for helpers because there's this sense like there's not so much left. Now I have to turn inside of me. I just, I just emptied my cup. I just gave, mm -hmm. gave, gave. And now you're telling me I'm the one inside that I have to heal myself. Oh. Right. Exactly. And that's why it's, that's exactly why it's important to know that it's not, it's not actually coming from the self. That's why self-healing for me is an imperfect, okay. <laughs> imperfect description, right? Is because it's not actually the self that's doing the healing. It's actually more about what you were, you know, the listeners can't see us, but she was opening her palms, right? It's more about this offering up and saying, I don't know, you know, it's more about like asking to receive about offering up that which we can't control and don't understand and need support with and opening to where support might show up in, in unexpected ways, like not only through an appointment you made with somebody, but also through, let's see, like I just heard the wind blow and the wind chimes, you know, like, or to, um, you know, a passerby giving you a smile. Like these are small things, right? But opening to that, if we are asking and we are open to receiving, that we start tuning in with sort of the synchronicities, we start tuning in and notice, okay, I can trust that if I'm asking for support, then it is showing up. And so is that, it's not really the self healing, right? But it's sort of claiming like that I am open and available to receiving yes. healing as it occurs. Yes. And so for some, they may they may say, "Well, this is this is bringing in a spiritual lens," and of course, I'm all for that. Could also be just that that concept of awareness, of presence, of attunement, of gratitude as we notice these things that may have that that energy for us, that healing energy, that yeah. that you know, that nourishing, recharging, the awe of nature, whatever it is. So let's talk a little bit about how, how you conceptualize what we do as helping professionals from a spiritual lens. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I mean, I think going back to this, you know, what we're talking about with the perspective shift is the way I see it is that we are holding open a space in the world for someone to 
be themselves, to explore what's happening in their lives and what changes they're going through. And to, like I said, believe in their inner strength and their inner wisdom. And, you know, it's sort of like rather than the, from a, from a spiritual lens, like rather than answering a question that we're going to sit in the question with them and, and be open to, to what comes through. And, and really, as you talk about this, Julia, it's also that sense of we are deserving of this and we have to get connected again, just like we offer our clients, right? We see our clients as, you know, without the judgment and we find the good in them. And we're so reluctant to turn that mirror on ourselves and finding that divine spark in us or the good in us is really so important. And it sounds simple and it's super hard. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think you bring up a really important point that is a, a very common experience for helping professionals. Uh, not, not for everybody, but for, you know, a lot of us uh, learned at a young age to find our value in helping other people. And so, you know, everybody finds their way of, of how are we going to socially survive here, right? And so there are a lot of therapists, I think, that do struggle with a, a very strong self-critic and have very high standards for themselves and tend, like you said, like can, can oftentimes hold a non-judgmental space for someone else and have a really hard time doing it for themselves. And I think that this is part of, part of what actually is healing for burnout is to come into integrity around that by the the practice of self-love like the the actual everyday practice of strengthening the voice in you that is kind towards yourself because that self-critics had plenty of airtime you know and so we need we need to be hearing and listening to this other voice that says oh hey that didn't go so well huh like that's okay sweetie we'll we'll, we'll figure it out you're good you know like just like being this friend to ourselves that says like, no matter what, even if it all just goes completely sideways, I'm with you. You've got this. We'll figure it out. Yes. That, that connection with that part of yourself that's more vulnerable or more doubting. And, and it might be the younger self, you know, we don't have to name it. It was definitely adaptive, but this is, this is a challenge. I love how you say, that we're we're moving into that place of integrity with what we want to speak to ourselves and the the thoughts we have and the the things we might say. Absolutely. And then what I think when we're in integrity, then we feel well, you know, and then it feels like I am walking my talk and I I am like in the end, like what we're all different. All therapists are different because we're all different people, you know, and what we're really bring is who we are. It's not about telling all the stories of our lives. It's about being your whole self, you know, what, what you bring to someone. And so when you are, you know, trying to help somebody else be kind to themselves and underlying so many things, right, is this way that we talk to ourselves, the way that we treat ourselves, and so I think it's, it's a huge part of wellness for helping professionals is really developing that and, and feeling like that's, that's really available, that the, the part of us that is caring for other people is truly available for us too. Mm -hmm. Yes. One thing, Julia, maybe this sounds a little crazy, but I, I wish my listener, they, they can't see us, you can't see us, but as I'm talking to you, Julia, there is just this sense of like, you have this very like open heart chakra. Like, I just feel like, oh, I want to put my arms out like this when I'm talking with you. <laughs> it's just such great, such a great energy. And I know you've worked on that. Like you've gotten yourself to this place where you can be aligned this way. And I feel it even through this Zoom screen. Mm -hmm. How crazy is that? But thank you for that gift because it is... It's so, um, it's so lovely. Oh, thank you so much. And, you know, it's, I feel like 
you know, I can fall down a rabbit hole, you know, and so, and, and I work with people all the time. And I think the thing is that when I fall down that hole of, you know, I, I used to really suffer from a very strong self-critic, just like flagellating, you know, I had, I recognized at some point that I had to, it, it was going to save my life. I needed to learn how to love myself. It had to happen. Like it was in a, in a place of very deep grief. And it was an everyday thing of being able to feel the feelings and loving myself through it. And, and really like all the time, all the time, over and over and over again, until like anything, if we practice it enough, we, it becomes more habitual, it becomes a pathway that's more easily tread. And so then when, when something happens, you know what I mean? Like life is funny and loves to, you know, like you say this and then like tomorrow, you know, something is like, ah, you know, but the thing is when it happens, it's like not only knowing the way down, but knowing the way back up, you know? So we, we learn how to say like, Oh, oops, you know, I can, now I hear it. It's like, Oh, I hear that. Oh yeah. I remember that old voice uh, telling me that's not good enough and you messed up and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, thanks for the reminder that I'm needing some more compassion here. And I can, you know, come back into, you know, who, who am I really? Like, this is, um, this is this one life that we're living here, you know? And if I'm alive, then I'm learning like everybody else, you know? And so the more compassion we can have for ourselves, the more we have for other people and the more, you know, life is, is something we are just continue. It's like, we're continually growing in some way, but it's definitely not always easy. Yes. Oh, wow. There's so much there in what you just said, just so beautiful and so powerful. You would hear the voice and it would come back up, right? Instead of attending to it, which most of us do because we're almost addicted to that negative critic, you know, that terrible critic that we carry with us instead of responding to it. And going with it, you turn to self-compassion, right? You said, oh, thanks for the reminder. I need to go back into this path. And then I loved what you said. And and hopefully, you know, my listener might rewind this because it was so good about when we practice, practice, and we start creating a path that then makes it easier to go down, easier to like get back on that well-tread path that's supportive for us. What I love about this notion of practice habit practice. And then I imagine it might even lead into ritual in some ways. And I'm really curious about that. Is there an overlap or how have you experienced this overlap of like practice into ritual as part of this compassion? And like you said, healing from that really rough place you were in. You know, I think that one can make practice into ritual. I, I think those words, again, it's funny, but it's always easy to get lost in these words. Like when I think of ritual, I think of, you know, I'm going to, there's something that, there's some sort of change. There's something I want to mark. There's something I want to honor. And so I'm going to prepare for the ritual and do that work in a, in a container. There's going to be a, a boundary around it. Practice can also be like that, you know, like the women's circles I lead is a ceremony in and of itself in the sense that there's an opening of the container, there's a closing of the container, we we sing, we write, we move to music, you know, we there's this, there is a ritual to it in the sense of like this, one thing flows into the next, and this is what we do um, over and over again, so that we're sort of training ourselves to be expressing, you know, to be letting it out and to be coming and to be filling back up with what is nourishing. And so um, this is kind of the, the community aspect of, of, you know, when we're talking about self-healing is that there's so much that we can do on our own in terms of that practice, but most of us do better with support, right? It's like why boot camps are so successful, you know, more than just trying to do those same exercises on your own. It's like, when you realize like, oh, I'm here with other people who are also trying to heal from their self-critic and build self-compassion that is, that is truly, you know, really feels authentic and genuine. And we're doing this together. There's something exponential that happens when we do that. And so 
I think ritual can mean all, all sorts of things. And sometimes it's about a practice that is repeated. And sometimes it's about something specific that we are, you know, honoring a certain change. That's, that really, I think, makes a lot of sense and is so thought provoking too. When we look at that in our lives, right? There may be places we want to mark something, to mark it with a ritual. We also help our clients do this all the time, right? Of maybe a transformation they're making or letting go of particular grief and loss or, you know, a new kind of realm that they're moving into. And so again, it's, it's also how, how could we embody this for us? So, so important. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that the, the more one gives themselves sort of permission to play and be creative around it, there's, you know, like I, feel like every day there's some some sort of ritual involved in the day. Some of the rituals that we do, we don't think of as spiritual in any way, right? Like it might be, you know, what we do from between getting out of bed and starting the workday. Like there's things that we do, right? And we say the rituals, but the but we can bring presence when we bring intention and we bring our full presence into washing the dishes or making breakfast or, you know, what, taking a few moments before hopping on a Zoom, you know, then we, we become available in this different way. Mm, yes. And those regular things become available to us to offer us that extra moment of mindfulness or that extra connection with ourselves as we, you know, are just more aligned. Absolutely. Over, you know. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, this is such a fun conversation. I'm so excited to keep talking with you and I'm aware of our time, but one more one more thing that I think a therapist experience, whether we call it you know in the spiritual realm or not, but when a therapist or helper is going through a really hard time, right? They're experiencing so much stress. Maybe it's a dark night of the soul. Maybe if they are spiritual, it's a crisis of faith and we still show up. We need to show up. And yet it's so hard because we feel lacking in that, that support, emotional support, mental support, spiritual support. And here we are faced with helping somebody else in their suffering. And we're also suffering. Many of our listeners, you know, have experienced or currently are dealing with grief and loss and, and so much. What do you offer? Because you work with this with the with the women's circle and also with your practice. Yeah, mo- most of my clients and the women in the groups, most of the people I work with are in helping roles themselves. And so, yeah, I, I, this, of course, this is, we're humans too, right? So all that can happen in life happens to us too. And um, so for the first thing I want to say about it is sometimes we can't. Sometimes we actually can't hold space for other people that we're, you know, sometimes we're going through something that is too life shattering. And I think I, I want to say that first, just for anyone who's listening that is feeling um, just like really not capable of doing it, that if there is any way that you can, you know, step off, step back for a period of time, that that sometimes that is actually the ethical thing to do because um, there are just things that happen in life that are too big um, to be able to put to the side and attend to other people like that just is. So for one thing, I just want to say you are allowed to be a human being who sometimes needs to not be working um, because your life is falling apart. So there's that. It's, um, it's survival for you, you know, and-, and it's better for your clients because they need someone who is available, you know, and so we do have that responsibility to, you know, get them to good hands. But sometimes that is the, the most ethical thing we can do. Now, a Sometimes this isn't possible or it's something that's going on so long, like it's not financially, you know, there's all kinds of reasons, right? That we do, we do have to, it's part of being a professional is that we do need to work even when we're going through something in our own personal lives. 
One way that I conceive of this for myself is I'll, I'll think of it as bring your daughter to work day. Like I'll think of bringing my inner child and, and like setting her up in the corner with some crayons and saying like, she can listen in, you know, like I'm not going to attend to you right now, but you can listen in because whatever it is, I'm being present with this person, but whatever it is I'm saying might be something that, you know, my vulnerability needs to hear too. And so it's, you know, how Julia, that is so brilliant. (laughs) Bring your daughter, your inner child to work. (laughs) Well, and it's, it's just that I think a lot of us, the way we end up in this profession is that we learned how to somehow how to suppress or neglect or abandon ourselves in order to attend to somebody else's needs that seemed more important for some reason, more urgent, something like that. Right. We're very good at that. Yes, exactly. And so we have to unlearn that, right? We have to learn how not to suppress, but to feel like, like, you know, you're talking and something like, oh, like some, you know, some little thing happens. And can I feel that in my body and breathe and continue to listen and keep processing these things through rather than suppressing them? Um, And another thing I would say is, you know, in between clients, it's almost like that the... I mean, everyone has a different work situation. You know, when I used to work in nonprofits, if I had an eight hour shift, I had eight clients, you know, and if there was somebody, there was a no show, they would find someone like there'd be a walk in, you know, like it was just crazy, really crazy. But, you know, in private practice, I, I am very mindful about spending uh, having transition time. But so even if you only have five minutes transition time, when you And, you know, giving yourself that chance to check in with yourself, like, oh, wow, that was a challenging session. How are you doing? You know, I mean, it sounds kind of silly to, to like talk to yourself, but I think it's really important because this is like, we are being affected, but we're just not attending to ourselves. And so if you are going through a dark night of the soul, if you are going through something and you, you know, of course, obviously like bring in more support than ever. You know, sometimes we kind of do with less when we need more. Like life is crazy. And so we're like, I don't have time. You know, I can't do that. But it's like, that's exactly when we need more of it. You know, and so it's very unlikely that someone's going to say, hey, you look like you need a rest. Like, have you been, you know, what have you been doing for yourself? You know, that's the stepping up. It's like, I have to do, I have to claim responsibility for my own wellness. Mm-hmm. And then um, who, cause who else is responsible for it? Right. And so then when, when you can do that for yourself, it's easier to be able to do that for your clients. And so again, not feeling like you're responsible or attached to the outcome of what happens, but that instead you're, you're just being in a place of love and this compassion that extends to you also, to all of you, to the whole mess of it. You know, it's like, this is messy where it's imperfect. Um, but you know what? I'm here and I all I need to do is be present right here, right now. That's Those are such great tips too. Really practical tips of ways you can let certain things go, you know, give yourself extra supports, but also remembering that it's like, up to you. It starts with you. I think sometimes we get resentful and we think like, oh, our partner, our friend should see how much we're struggling and try to help us. And you know, that's not on them. And and it's going to be actually more freeing to recognize our sovereignty in this way and that actually know like this responsibility that we have for ourselves actually means that, um, it helps our relationships and it um, yeah, it means that we're free from being dependent on what somebody else is doing and not doing. And at the same time, we are affected by people, you know, like we are, we affect each other all the time, you know? So it's like, this is this paradox, right? Is that we are sovereign beings and we are all interconnected. We are like part of this much larger organism here that we just don't have a, an awareness of. And so, you know, that's why I go back to this sense of it's okay to be learning. That's what we're doing here. That's why we're still still alive right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and you and you and I both are, you know, continuing to practice and expand our our 
therapy work and other other things and midlife and we're not stopping <laughs> one one moment at a time one I was thinking actually before we got on the call in terms of you know the the guidance that I hear most often is about slowing down just right now you know and then do later later you can pick it up later but let's just let's just do now and these these senses of us needing to be well and you know what the corporations the industries just the way the world is it's it's not going to give you that break you're gonna have to take it if you possibly can right it's not specifically built in no when i was a hospice volunteer you know they explained when there's something big going on for you you're gonna need to step back from doing hospice volunteer work like that's just something that was in their manual like Mm -hmm. compassion-based model and so few organizations are that way Mm -hmm. um, from a more compassion-based self model, right? Absolutely. And I I think hospice, I mean, hospice is so dear to my heart. When I've worked for two different hospices as a chaplain, so not in the social worker role, but in the spiritual counselor role. And like those people were some of my greatest teachers. I mean, it's like a continual wake-up call to do that work. And, and I think there's no better example and training in terms of their, I mean, I've never died before. I don't know what that's like. Right. So it's, it's already, it's already built into the work that I'm here to, to be with you and to not be afraid to be with you and to listen to your fears and to what needs forgiveness and to what feels unfinished and to, or to just be a presence at some point to just be there and to be there with your loved ones who are going through their own grieving process, you know, but there's not something to do, you know, it's so much about just being. And I think that it's sort of like what anyone who works in hospice has, has that quality, right? And I think that that's really needed in the field of therapy, because so much of the time, we're working more with the middle of life, not just, you know, midlife, (laughs) but all the things in between birth and death. So we lose perspective on how fleeting really this, this all is. And so to me, like that is inspiration, not to be in this, like, oh, I have to make the most out of every moment because, you know, like that just creates all this pressure and, you know, hustle energy. We don't need that. You know, it's just, it's just um, a reminder that um, what's really important here. It's so grounding. A hundred percent. I'm behind everything you said. And and I think especially that type of, of hospice work is that sense of being in uncertainty, right? Being with yeah. the fear, being in uncertainty. And that's the part that therapists need to be more practiced in, in the room, right? Because we want to have the, to have the answer, to have the technique or, you know, whatever to heal. We want that. And yet that may not happen. And so being okay with the uncertainty, we learn this in any kind of other type of work, like you said, around, you know, the uncertainty, hospice, disability, illness, those things that just mm-hmm. change, you know, we're all like on the verge of that. If only, only, you know, we can take that in. Oh, that's an interesting connection. Your chaplaincy work is so important. I I mean, it's so if it wasn't for the middle of the night (laughs) schedule and calls like that, I I mean, I, it just is so close to my heart doing that. And and like, yeah, it's always the middle of the night. Uh, Yeah, not it wasn't wasn't very sustainable, particularly with children. But, but the, I I think, you know, something you said, too, because I, I find that this happens a lot, particularly for newer therapists, but when you said like looking for the technique, you know, or what am I supposed to do? You know, if you think about it, all of the certifications, all of the techniques, everything that one can get trained in comes from somebody developed that from their own experience of what worked for them with clients, you know? And so, and then they trained other people in that way. And so at some point, It's actually, it's not about doing that right, the way someone else designed it. It's about 
integrating it into who you are and you finding your way of working with someone. And I think when we're in that spot, the work becomes creative, you know, and it becomes inspiring because we're we're witnessing ourselves and what what's happening here, you know, and I think um, and then when that, you know, combining with this, what we're talking about in terms of doing hospice work, where it's so humbling, it's like, I absolutely, there's, there's no fix here, we can't make it better, you know, and so there's like this almost a relief in what my job is here is just to love, is just to be a loving presence. And I know that sounds whatever, cheesy or something like that, but you know, there's a reason why these things are cliche. Julia, it sounds so big hearted. It sounds so heart centered, you know, as you say that. And that's, that's also what you're encouraging us to bring into these other spaces of our lives, in our therapy, in our relationships, in our friendships. It's, it's so important. I, I love that you talked about how creative and organic therapy can be. And when you can take an approach or a technique and play with it until it's like yours and it has your spin on it, or it's just you make it work and then you can stay so creative and flexible. You must stay so flexible, I think, as therapists. Um, even if we're less flexible in our own lives, and I'm probably that. So we have so many paradoxes, don't we? It, it It's all paradox. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 always it's like anything that can be said the opposite's also true you know but it's like and that's this that's this mystery that we're living in you know and so um it's like self-healing and we need each other you know it's 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 this interconnection and this you know um sense of self i think that yeah this this creativity piece of really feeling ownership of of the of the room if you will even if you're working in telehealth like the the energetic room right this space that we're in together and feeling you know i i feel so much like the job is to hold the container to to open it and to close it and to have it is important to hold those boundaries and within it then there's room for creativity because it knows where where those edges are and then we can, um, then, then there's what the freedom comes from, you know, and the structure is what keeps the safety, what keeps the, the protection there. Um, and so, you know, like one, one way that I like to think of it is that I'm not, you know, I think when I started out, I wanted to be a good therapist. And now I think of it more as um, that this is my, my one-on-one work you know, and I don't, the word therapy, like it's, I'm not trying to be a role, you know, it's like, um, I, I've sometimes said that, you know, sometimes being a therapist has felt to me like wearing a too tight business suit. And, um, I know you can see my office here. Like you, you might imagine I have never worn a business suit. It doesn't quite, quite, quite fit my style. And so it's, it, it felt when in the beginning stages of my career like that, like I was trying to fit myself into this suit. And I feel like now it's almost, it's more like a name tag. It's more like a way that someone can recognize, oh, this person has had training and experience, um, education. And so that creates a, and an ethical commitment, which I think is super important, you know, as a, a foundation for safety, not all that's needed, but a foundation. But it's so it's like being ourselves and then being in service. And and the being a therapist is is like the role that we're, you know, is this is the agreement we have is that we've agreed like there's some sort of exchange going on. And um, my part, my role here is to be present for you in whatever you bring here. You know, but that's different than being identified with that role. And then I have to somehow be whatever in my mind I think a therapist is, you know, let me yes. let me be of service to this person in front of me. Being of service, right. The, the, the therapist is, is almost like a symbol or an identifier. But being yeah. of service, then it takes away. Am I going to be a good therapist? I want right. to be a therapist. No, I'm going to be of service, right? Yeah. Exactly. Not so good in there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
and and just holding that work and that space and and I do see telehealth as as an as a space of room, oh, yeah. holding that energetically and those that structure that we create then absolutely give us the freedom when we can stay open to it. You know, it's, it's so important. Absolutely. About this, I you know, and I whoa, we're getting so close on the time, but <laughs> I really would love for you to share um, some of these like energetic or emotional release practices that we can do as individuals, therapists or not, we can do as humans to help like with our wellness and our self care. Like some examples of of how we can have these emotional releases. Sure, and <clears throat> I think that there are so many ways to do this. And so for anyone listening, may this remind you of all the things you already know, you know, and I am also, what's that? Yeah. Right. Because we, we have a lot of tools and it's oftentimes really about using them. I'm a big uh, proponent of, of practices that can be done easily and anytime and anywhere because uh, we don't always have a big, you know, container of time in which to do things that are more complex, right? But so, um, for instance, like a simple, um, I'm a, I, I love to shake, you know, like, especially if, um, you know, someone cuts you off in traffic, or, um, you know, some sort of online communication that's stressful, or it could be after a session, you know, and just, uh, shaking it out and making some noise and just loosening it up, you know, like really letting the body like an animal would let it, let, let the body move in ways that, you know, may, they seem awkward or uncomfortable, but it's just what the body wants to do with that energy, just letting it go through. Our, our, our pets do this all the time throughout exactly. the day. Take a lesson from them. And it's so funny because after a podcast, you know, I, I so enjoy this, but it's also like a lot of nervous energy sometimes. And then mm-hmm. I was, that's the first thing I do is I kind of shake out my arms and, you know, do a little woohoo. And I don't know, my guests think I'm weird, except you won't think I'm weird. I do not. And I am always encouraging it. We do, we do a lot of that in the, in the women's circles, <clears throat> which by the way, you were mentioning the like telehealth. I just want to say, absolutely. I'm with you around the virtual work. It's been so interesting. I used to consider myself like a Luddite. I was so not an early adopter of technology, but now I, I do so much work. Most, most of my work is online. And I think there's actually something really wonderful for highly empathic, sensitive uh, therapists in doing this work and that one can kind of stay with their body and be present to someone else in a different way that that's actually can be healthy for boundaries and for, you know, connecting to guidance as opposed to getting too sucked in somewhere else. But anyway, I'm digressing. So <laughs> yes, release practices. So another, you know, simple one, we do this in the group too, is either if you, if you want, you can do this through writing, but you can also do it through speaking. Like suppose you've had a busy day and then you've got to go run an errand, you know, in the car, just, speaking out loud, you know, venting like you would to a friend, but then pausing and responding from the, your therapist voice, from the part of you that is a caring friend, from the part of you that is, you know, in a compassionate space. So talking to yourself is a, you know, fantastic way to build up that practice of, you know, bringing the inner healer to tend to yourself is, you know, because this, the thing is, this stuff is going on in the mind all the time. And we can't always really hear it. But it's, it's like running these tapes, you know, so it's expression, right? It's, it's just getting it out. It's just the way like we might, you know, shake out the body, we might, you know, scribble on a page and, and rip it up or something like that. Also, going outside, even in in various weathers, and lying face down on the ground, like just spread eagle lying face down on the ground and asking the earth to to take this and really like feeling what it is to feel ground beneath you that this ground is always beneath you and you can also you know flip over and just open to the sky you know open to this vast sky that is just 
so it's just like the perspective like so much larger than our we're so tiny you know you're in an airplane you're like what that's really me sometimes you know these little little people in these little cars little kind of humble space absolutely and so by by connecting with the earth and with the sky just as an example it could be water it could be the moon you know it's when we remember our smallness it just helps it kind of uh come into a, a wider space that can hold all of what is happening. But those are just a few of, of so, so many things, right? And that's the thing is what, you know, when I said like, let this remind you of what you already know is there's already things that you probably even do. And it's like, if, if we just bring intention to it, like if I go, um, I used to teach at an acupuncture school, teach counseling skills. And I would say like we would do every day before class, like we would do some sort of quick release practice. You know, it's like you can go to the sink and you're washing your hands like you can just go and do that mindlessly. But you can also as you're doing that, imagine yourself like imagine the water, you know, washing over you and taking with it anything that is really un unneeded that isn't helping you in this moment and just feel it on your skin and let it take it, let, let it, let it help you. You know, it's, it's so much as, again, it's like bringing our presence to what we're actually doing can be sometimes is the, the more often that we do that, we don't need as much. It doesn't have to be like, I have to need a vacation every other week. Right. But those things are sometimes, you know, I do think that taking breaks, taking some small breaks regularly and taking some bigger breaks when possible is is just so important for people who spend most of their time attending to other people. And, and just to touch back that the water example is so great because it reminds me how much ritual washing is important in different in different religions or practices, right? But then it can become a habit where you don't think about that cleansing of whatever, you know, you might need and deepening it. And so there are ways to even deepen quotes rituals so that it will have, a, you know, greater impact on you. And the other thing you said it so beautifully, Julia, like, may this be a reminder of what you already know as you introduced the emotional release practices. And I would love for the therapist listener so think about using that with their clients, you know, when they want a coping skill or they want some, you know, some suggestions. And if we led with that, because wasn't it so validating to hear her say that, right? Like, oh, you mean I have this knowledge inside me and I've just forgotten it. And so it was just an amazingly beautiful way that you introduced that. Well, thank you. And I, I do think that that's, you know, when a client comes with a question like that, you know, asking for sort of more direct advice to be able to ask them, well, what, you know, as you ask that question, what's coming up for you? What's happening in your body? What's, what's the first thing that came to you after you said that question? You know, it's sort of like, it, not as a way of ev evading it or like, you know, not giving, but, but it's really like, let's like giving people a chance to, to realize that they actually have so much capacity you know, that, that, that there are depths within us that we, that we just don't always access, but that every one of us has um, an inner healer inside, whether or not we're in a helping profession or not. And again, like when, when we step out of the role of having to, because, you know, we're, we're people and we have ideas, right? Like you listen to someone and you have an idea, but again, going back to your original question of what is heart centered, it's about saying like, oh, that's just my idea. That's just coming from my personality and my life and whatever. So I can drop that idea and let me come back to my heart and hold open a space for this person to be able to recognize that they have their own, they have their own intuition. They have their own wisdom. And sometimes we just need more of a mirror for that. Yes. It's, it's so powerful. And you know, I, I know that people are going to just be really, really inspired um, from hearing from hearing you, Julia. And I, I'm, I'm so honored that you were here with, with me on this podcast. And I really just want to acknowledge you for the way you continue to be of service um, from this beautiful, big hearted place. And 
helping others. And I know you've helped so many people just by talking with me today. Well, thank you so much, Cindy. And you know, it takes one to know one. So you are doing some amazing work here too. And, and also in just like valuing therapists and, and our own journey here and bringing heart, you know, reminding us of what it's really about. Yes. Oh, thank you. So let's have you share with everyone, Julia, your website and your books and the women's circle. How can people find out more about you? Yeah, the best thing to do would be to go to my website, which I think should be a, a link that you can find. Yes, we'll put but, it in the yeah. show. Okay. Um, yeah, to go, and on my website, you'll find a link to sign up for my mailing list. I promise I will not bombard your inbox. I write reflections on self-healing and empowerment pretty mostly seasonally. Sometimes it might be a little more often, you know, during the pandemic when that first happened, I was sending something more often. But generally, you know, bringing together learning from nature and you know, focusing on some of these issues that we've been talking about today around perfectionism or burnout, that sort of thing. And then and then I will, if you also are on that mailing list, you'll hear about when the next season of the Release and Empower Women's Circle is happening. So that's, uh, we have two different circles that will happen both in the fall and then winter to spring. And that's really for you know, anyone who identifies as a woman who's spending much of her time and energy tending to other people's needs. It's about self-expression. We do writing and movement and meditation and sharing without crosstalk, though, without giving advice, without, you know, again, holding, just holding the space for, for each person to say what she needs to say and hear, hear herself. So there's that. And there's also on there, my blog and, you know, links to, upcoming workshops and things like that. And so it's all at juliaaziz.com. Yes. Two A's in a row. Yes. Yes. And are the women's women's circles um, via Zoom or telephone? Yes. Yes, they are, which is, um, yeah, been really wonderful to connect with women from, from all different places. And like I said, there's something that happens when you get a group of women together, or a group of people really, but, um, and you're doing this, this is different. It's not a therapy group and it's not an interpo- interpersonal processing group. This is about doing our own healing work together. And it's about bringing in what we do is quite simple on purpose because it's really about giving ourselves permission to express and release in ways that feel good to each person and that may be different from each person there right and so it's really about yeah coming back into this authenticity and being able to you know like both see and be seen it sounds so wonderful for anybody who might be able to participate and again thank you for doing this amazing work and it was a pleasure to walk the path with you today We didn't know the outcome. And I think it was pretty great. (laughs) Uh, It's been such a pleasure to talk to you, Cindy. I'm so glad we did this. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again. And I'll see you next time.